Omohuru apik sekerke. Warara here, warara indere manguana ni. Uh, somebody got the interpretation. Uh, what wonderful songs we've been singing this morning. The the whole theme and backdrop to all that is the goodness of God. And uh, the penultimate song that we sung really, really boosted me and gave me uh, just that spiritual kick, you know, that shot in the spiritual veins that we need, that uh, we can come boldly. Uh, Knowing myself as I do, and you no doubt knowing yourself as you do, yet we can come boldly because of the work of Christ in our lives. That uh, we being hidden in him have access. Think of it, guys. Access into that awesome, holy place, the very presence of God. And so, as we talk about the provision of God this morning, that has to be one of the greatest provisions that we'll ever know. The fact that he redeemed us and qualified us that we might enter into his presence this morning. We're sitting here together with with one another, saints all qualified to be part of that throng that will be with him forever and ever and ever and ever. Beyond the ability of words to express or mind to grasp, our God is a great provider. And that's what we want to look at this morning, possibly with a slightly different angle to it, because as I was preparing for this message and reading up on many different things uh, from Scripture uh, concerning the provision of God, uh, I got to John chapter 6, and I was reading from from, John, John 6 about the, that provision of Jesus for 5,000 people uh, from, you know, just from two, two, two fishes and five sandwiches of bread, uh, he, he provided for 5,000 people. And uh, it was a great provision, but the strangest thing happened. As I was reading that, that scripture and what, what followed it, reading it in its context, Uh, I felt the Lord just drop something into my heart that I should highlight this morning. And uh, so I'm going to be doing that, but I'll tell you more about that in a few moments. Um, We've had some excellent teaching over the past few weeks on the names of God and what each name represents. Uh, You've had the the expertise of Messrs. Thornett, Hood, and Greg Downs come and explain to you, uh, make so clear uh, the, the under, deeper understanding of, of a mere name, uh, what we read on paper, uh, just, just how, how much deeper and greater uh, that name is as we see it in the light of who God is and what that name becomes, and, and, and what, it, what it means to us, and what it provides for us. And so, 
Uh, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to dwell there uh, much longer except to say uh, the names of God and the person of God are interrelated. You cannot, you cannot uh, divide them, separate them. Uh, if he's our provider, then we understand it's Jehovah who is our provider. If he's our righteousness, then we understand it's Jehovah who is our righteousness. If he is our banner, we understand it is Jehovah who is our banner. And if he's always there, we understand, once again, it is Jehovah. And so on for the rest of uh, all the names of God. Uh, the, the Jehovah is intricately intertwined with what his name suggests. He is that and, and so much more. And so the, the name of, uh, names of God are, are inseparable from the person of God. They, they, they tell us what we can understand about him when we hear that name. Uh, it's like a label. It's, 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 it's like a label that says this is what God is like. And uh, it reveals his character to us. And both in the, the Hebrew and the Greek cultures, the name was very, very important. And uh, whether it was a person or a place or an event, it was given a name. And every time you came across that person or, or that place or that, that event, you would understand the significance of it. And uh, so as we move on and look at Jehovah Jireh, God being our provider, we understand yet another aspect of the character of God. It means, and I'm paraphrasing now, the Lord will see to it. God will take care of it. Jehovah Jireh. And it reveals the hand of God in all of human need. That's an amazing thing. In all of human need, the, the scope and the extent of human need is met in that name, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And so I want to take you back to the, the, the origin of this name where we first read about it in Scripture. And uh, will you go to Genesis 22, verses 11 to 14? It'll probably be up on the slide behind me. But I'm, I'm going to read it. I won't read all of it, but uh, just follow along with me. Uh, we're looking at a scripture now that, that uh, comes after a man by the name of Abraham uh, has been hugely blessed by God. I mean, God gave Abraham some blessings and promises back in Genesis chapter 12 already, and, and told him some amazing things that was going to happen to him. But as time wore by, you know, the years wore on, and time went by, uh, Abraham hadn't seen what was required in order for those promises to be fulfilled. He, he, he did not have an heir. And uh, so he was, he was trusting God all of that time, and uh, then the Lord came and, and blessed Abram and his, his wife Sarah. And they had this, this heir. They, they got their son Isaac. He was born. And uh, it, was, it was an amazing circumstance again because they were both past childbearing age. And uh, 
Abraham and Sarah's hearts were full of gratitude. They were just so grateful that God had given them the son. Uh, time went on, probably 17 years, or, or some suggest even as long as uh, 20, 21, 22 years later, God decides to test Abraham. And he comes to him and says, Abraham, I want you to take your only son. And uh, I smile when I read that because God is such a, a neat way of emphasizing things, doesn't he? I want you to take your only son. And imagine uh, how Abraham would understand that uh, in, in, in the fact that, yes, there, there was an Ishmael, but he wasn't part of the promise. And now God is talking about the, the heir to the promise, the fulfillment of the promise. I want you to take your only son. And God gives him directions where he is to go. And uh, when you get there, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. Now, have you ever thought that through? Uh, uh, I mean, I, I cannot, I, I don't think I would pass that test. Uh, if I had to put a knife to my own son's throat and offer him as a sacrifice, I, uh, yeah, really, I don't think I'm an Abraham when it comes to that. But this man, had such an implicit trust and belief in God that what God had said would have a final fulfillment, that he, he obeyed and he, he took his son, went up to the region of Moriah, and on one of those hills prepared an altar, tied his own son's hands behind him. Now that would require cooperation from the son as well. And that's another whole story. I mean, he was, he was old enough to have resisted his aged father. But he, he yielded to that. He let his father tie his hands and feet. And uh, the, the, he probably helped Abram get all the, the sticks for the, the sacrifice together and put them on the altar. And then Abraham places Isaac on that altar. And he's about to slit his throat with that knife where we pick up on our story in, in Genesis 22, verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. I, I noted that the previous times God spoke to him, he just said, Abraham. This time he says, Abraham, Abraham. There's, there's, there's a sense of urgency here. There's a sense of, I've got to get your attention, Abraham. Uh, you've, you've got to look through the grief and the pain and the sorrow and all of that, that range of human emotion you must be going through now. Abraham, listen to me. Abraham. And he said, here I am. And the angel of the Lord said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram 
caught in the thicket by its horns. And then Abraham went over, took the ram, and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, and this is where it comes, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. This whole incident reveals the distinctive mark of Jehovah and what his name stands for. It's, it's how he meets human need at a point of crisis and at any other time. He steps in and he provides. Jehovah Jireh gave life in this instance. Jehovah Jireh came and saved the promised son from being a sacrifice. Jehovah Jireh preserved the the promise to make Isaac uh, a great nation. He acted faithfully. The point of Abraham's need and provided a sacrifice. And so, we, I mean, the, the topic of God provides is massive. And there's no way we can adequately cover it this morning. Uh, if, if we were to try and work our way through a list of what God provides, we'd never get to the end of it. Uh, so I want to condense it and, and say, basically, there are two sides to God's provision. The one side, the side that we are most familiar with, is God's provision in the material. The, the, the stuff, the things that we need, how he provides for us with material blessings. The other side is God's provision in the immaterial, the, the, the spiritual side of things, the, uh, that which is, does not consist of matter, and uh, how he blesses us there. And then as I've uh, alluded to, to earlier on, I, I, I want to, I, I'm going to briefly skip, I mean you've heard teachings on God's provision. I'm sure you've got tapes, no see, you don't have tapes anymore, you've got <laughs> CDs and DVDs and uh, notes from teachings you've come across over time of how God is Jehovah Jireh in our lives. Uh, So I'm going to touch on that, but I'm not going to dwell there. I want to move to a third point, that third point being what I felt God revealed to me as I read John chapter 6 in the light of the provision of food for 5,000 people. And and that's what I'm going to emphasize. So so bear with me, but but we're going to look briefly then at the first... first, uh, uh, area that God provides for mankind, uh, and that is the practical side, providing for our daily needs. Read with me from Matthew chapter 6, we'll read from verse 25, and again, I'm not going to read every verse, but uh, let's, let's work our way through that. Verse 25, Matthew six twenty-five. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, what you will wear. 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Verse 29. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 31. Therefore do not worry and be anxious, saying, What are we going to have to eat? Or what are we going to have to drink? Or what are we going to have to wear? Verse 32. Your heavenly Father knows well that you need all of these things. In this teaching... Jesus is enlightening us to the fact that uh, there's an everyday side to God's provision. Uh, a gracious God uh, who, who, who makes it possible for us to not be starving. Uh, who makes it possible for us to be able to go into warm homes, <coughs> excuse me, homes and uh, <coughs> not have to... Uh, Content with the bitter cold or the, the inclement weather. It's a God who provides for us daily provision. And, and Matthew 6, uh, I think, is, is really neat in the way that it helps us to understand <clears throat> that God cares for even the smallest of his created things. He, he, he cares for a lily. He cares for uh, a little bird. Uh, he clothes and he feeds them. And it tells me that his eye is on them. I mean, we, we would just give a cursory glance to a flock of birds flying over. We wouldn't even probably register, oh, there go birds, and this is what kind of bird it is, etc. But God has his eye on, on all of his creation, even the smallest of these little creatures. And he provides as a father does. He provides at the right time, and he provides exactly what they need. Thank you, Mark. And, and he does so without hesitation. And so I want to make it very clear. God does provide stuff. He does provide us for our, you know, what we need for our daily living. God does want you to be a blessed individual. He does want you to have a roof over your head. He does want you to have four wheels, unless you're a fitness fanatic and you prefer to cycle. Well, he'll give you two wheels. God does want you to have these things. It's gone quiet in this Presbyterian church. <laughs> he does. God wants you to be blessed. God has no desire for you to be a, a beggar sitting on a street corner sharpening pencils for a living. God wants you to be blessed. How can you be a blessing if you are not blessed? If we're struggling, we need to take a closer look at how we're living. We need to challenge ourselves in how we're thinking. <laughs> 
We need to, to take careful note of what comes out of our mouths. Are we blessing ourselves by our words or are we putting ourselves down and destroying our chances by our negativity? Let me just say that negativity is almost the default setting of many, many people. So I'm not, you know, I'm not here to, <coughs> to, um, for you to start thinking, oh, here we go, another, another prosperity pe- preacher. Uh, I believe in prosperity and so does God. And I do know there are some things that, that teachers have taken to extremes and gone right over the top with it and lost the balance in it. But God wants you prosperous and I'm going to prove it to you. So God comes with daily blessings. Jobs, family, friends, and a church family. Reasonable, good clothes to wear. And they, they, they need necessarily be designer labels that you're wearing. Yvonne and I have known one or two people who over the years bought the bulk of their clothing from from charity shops, and man, they looked like queens. They just knew how to do it. But these things are significant. They are meaningful. All of these these material blessings are. And they are absolutely part of God's blessing to us. And as with all things, there is a balance. I don't need three or four cars in my driveway just because I like cars. I don't need a television in every bedroom of my house just to make it easier for everybody. I'm not saying it's wrong for you to... If if God has blessed you that... What I'm saying is don't make that the thing that you fix your focus on. Simply because God is a provider. But I want to move on to the deeper reality Something that lies beyond material goods when we speak about God being the provider. And I'm now speaking about that other side of God's provision, our rescue from sin, the fact that He provides salvation. What we read about in Genesis chapter 22 was a prototype of the the promise of Jesus Christ being the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. He was to come and be a replacement on the altar of sacrifice for the guilt of mankind. In Jesus' mission on earth, we see this deeper reality. And you know it so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe on him would not perish but have eternal life. What provision! It's the greatest provision we have this side of heaven. 
salvation for a lost mankind. And John 10.10 tells us Jesus' own words that he came so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And this provision, this immense gift of the Son of God, it was more than kindness, folks. It was a rescue. It was a ransom. It was a debt paid. It was a place of punishment. Taking our guilt so that we might have freedom in Christ. Free from the guilt of the sin that so besets human life. Jesus was the last and the final sacrifice, that provision of God, the flawless lamb, able to redeem all sinners and pay for our sins once and for all. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Jesus is God's complete and perfect provision. He's the answer to the deepest need that mankind could ever have. So in Genesis, we have Abraham's only son, set to be sacrificed but saved by God's marvelous provision. And in the Gospels, we have God's only son, sacrificed to be the miraculous provision for all people. So when we say, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, it is true. And we see it in the birds and the flowers and nature around us. But we see it mostly at the cross, where Jesus is Jehovah Jireh's Jireh's great provision for mankind. So I've just skimmed over those two aspects, the material needs and this this great spiritual need. But I I, want to get into uh, what I feel the Lord showed me from John chapter Uh, 6. And this is how we need to position ourselves in the light of his provision. Uh, I'm going to use a legal term here, ab initio, which simply means from the beginning. It's a legal term, from the beginning. Uh, And I want to prefix everything I'm going to say by by putting this this legal clause, ab initio, uh, putting it out there so that you can just hang on to it. But this is it. God is good all the time. Uh, Yvonne and I have been through some trying things the last year and a half or so, mostly to do with uh, uh, the selling of a home and purchasing of another home. And uh, three times, twice, no, twice we've been uh, disappointed. But uh, a point came where I really started doubting uh, whether my, my faith was good enough or whether God was faithful enough. But as I sat down... And, and thought it through. Uh, I came up with this, this war cry, if you like. And it, it was simply that. God is good all the time. Jesus is Lord forever. And the devil's a loser. But God is good all 
the time. He's the provider of all of mankind's valid needs. Thank God for that. There are some some needs that people have convinced themselves that they have that have got nothing to do with God. Uh, it's, it's nothing that, that would bring glory to God. It's always to satisfy the, uh, the warped, twisted uh, desires of, of fallen flesh. So I'm talking about, when I use the term valid needs, I'm talking about that that we can genuinely say in Jesus' name. That it would represent Jesus. That it would honor his name. That's, that's what I'm talking about. But I, I, I must sound a caution here. When we're talking about God being the provider, we could so easily get caught up in his ability to provide that we miss a much deeper value. And this is where we're going. With the Holy Spirit helping me, I just want to flesh out for you a little bit uh, what that deeper value is. And as I say, I, I, this came to me as I was reading from John chapter 6, uh, where Jesus had fed the 5,000. And uh, then he'd, he'd, uh, the night had fallen, and, and he'd, he and the, well, the disciples had set off for Capernaum across the lake, and uh, there was that un- another amazing incident where Jesus came walking to them on the water. And uh, sunrise the next morning, the people realized that neither disciples nor Jesus are, are, are with them anymore. So they, they set out and they follow Jesus. And when they find him, in verse 25 of John 6, it says, They inquired, Rabbi, when did you get here? Perfect legitimate question. Uh, You were with us last night. Now suddenly here you are in Capernaum. When did you get here? I'm I'm not going to go down the tempted rabbit trail to talk about the miraculous happening on the water and the fact that immediately they were where they needed to go. And so be that another day, another time. Uh, But Jesus' answer and the context as you read on from verse 25, makes it abundantly clear that Jesus saw why they were really looking for him. And my paraphrase of verse 26 reads like this. It's not me you're looking for. It's my provision. See, they were looking for what had happened the day before, the bread he'd given them. It's not me you're looking for, it's my provision. And that becomes abundantly clear as you read it in the context of John 6. And I I just want to make it, again I want to repeat myself, I want to establish a fact. God wants us to live blessed lives. He really does. And as I said earlier on, the Holy Spirit 
is in perfect agreement with the Father and with Jesus. So when he inspires writing in the scripture, he's not inspiring something contrary to the way that Father and Jesus think. He's inspiring something that is in, in, in absolute unison and, and agreement with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now I'm expecting a sharp intake of breath, but God does believe in prosperity. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. Let me just say that chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, there is no way we can twist ourselves out of it. It is dealing with God's material blessing, finances. It's talking about generosity. It is speaking about being in a place where you're a blessing to others. But here's the Bible's definition of prosperity. And God is able to make all grace or all favor, listen to the words, abound towards you so that in all things, at all times, you will then be able to abound in every good work. Can I put it clearer? God wants his people to be a blessed people so that they are able to abound in every good work. Listen to the amplified version. And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing, come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need Be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donations. That's my belief. And I believe I have the backing of the word of God to believe that way. Now I'm not talking about the excesses that some have gone to with it. And I hope you know me enough, well enough, to know that I, I, I'm, not, I'm not telling you that you should all be flying in private planes and so forth. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going there. That's not what I'm saying. I am sticking to the simple, simplistic truth of the word that we as believers... God wants us to be in a place where we have enough for what we need, but we're also in a position to abound in every good work. Now, if that means I'm in an an economy where uh, there's a great shortage of bread, it simply means this, that Uh, I need to be in a place that if I have two loaves, I can keep one for myself and give you one. I'll tell you what I am against. I am against people's aim being solely the first part of that verse. Where it's just, 
I am against getting to get. You with me? That's not what, what, what God wants us to, to, to be like. He wants us to have a heart that's so big that we're, we're constantly looking for what I can bless others with. And not consume it on myself. Not be, con- you know, if I, can, if, I can, uh, if I can buy a shirt for, for, what do shirts cost, guys? 12 pounds? Is that a decent price? Why? I mean, I saw in Osborne's the other day a shirt for 45 quid. Now, that's, that's what the difference I think that, that the balance we need here. My 12-pound shirt, shirts last me for years. And I don't need to have on some designer-labeled shirt and leave my jersey open and freeze so that you can see the, the label. I don't need that. Nor do you. And God doesn't want that. God wants us to live in a place where our needs are met. But we are yet blessed enough to bless others and on every occasion. So that's the deeper truth I want to emphasize. And put it to you like this as we look at John chapter 6. Pursue Jesus and not the stuff. So I'm going to paraphrase John chapter 6 and somehow, Lord, make that clock stand still. (laughs) First of all, verse 24. It is the wrong focus we have of Jesus when we look at him and desire him for what he can provide. So when the crowd saw Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And I've already said that Jesus said to them, you're not really looking for me, but you're after what I can provide. That's, that, that is wrong, totally wrong. Jesus ought to be the focus Of our pursuit. Verse 27. Evaluate your need beyond the immediate necessity. You know, I I, we pick up a piece of toast in the morning, our need is is something to chew on because we're hungry. And that's our immediate need, and we eat that piece of toast. But I need to evaluate the provision of that piece of toast, in my case, beyond just having something to chew on for breakfast, because carbs are not good for me. So I need to evaluate the need beyond the immediate necessity. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, on Jesus... God the Father has set his seal. 
We shouldn't fall into the trap of looking for and putting the emphasis on stuff that spoils. Appreciate the immediate, but evaluate it in terms of eternal values. Your most treasured possession, of course, material possession, whatever it is. Sorry to say it, but it it has limited shelf life. Only Jesus can provide the goods that have eternal qualities. And in verses 28 and 29, the only thing that will withstand God's final test of, of quality will be those things of eternal value. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God, or in other words, to do the will of God? And Jesus said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom the Father has sent. I want to hook up with 1 Corinthians 3, 9 to 15. For we are God's fellow workers, the apostle teaches. Let each one take care of how he builds upon the solid foundation. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation and he builds with gold, silver, precious stones, or he uses wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest. In other words, it will be shown for what it is. For on that day of judgment, it will be disclosed because it will be revealed by fire. The, the, the burning fires of that day, the Apostle Paul is saying here, will reveal the character of every person's work. Just like fire sheds, sheds light on the surroundings, and in the African bush we relied on those fires at night. It shed light on what was around us. Just as the fire sheds light on it, it may be obs- so stuff may be observed, the fire will test what sort of works each one has done. And it goes on verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation, i.e. Jesus survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will have built on the wrong foundation and built with the wrong stuff, and he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The work, the values that resemble gold and precious stones will be approved. But the work and the values attached to vain and futile ambitions will resemble stubble and will be destroyed. So whatever it is that we look to as as being our need, uh, just look a little bit further than the immediate face of the need, if I can put it like that, and evaluate it in terms of eternal values, God's values. Verse 30, the danger of being locked into our preconceptions. So they said to Jesus, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? 
they still didn't get it. They really didn't get it. Notice the order of their, their, their words that we may see and then believe. Can I suggest that is totally the wrong order? That is not faith. Faith believes in order to see. I expected a more hearty amen than that. (laughs) Seeing is sense knowledge. Believing is the spiritual dynamic of faith. Do you need more teaching on faith? We should be eating meat by now, not hanging around the milk bottle. In the light of God's provision, I've said it before and I say it again, we need a balanced expectation of God's generosity. But God is not to be likened to some jovial Santa Claus who wings around the universe and uh, dishes out presents from his, his amply filled sack. That's, that, don't look at God like that. Don't, don't think of God as, as some kind of vending machine. You put in your slot your little uh, confession or, or uh, the prayers of your buddies around you, and then, come on, God, where, where, where's the goods? It doesn't work as simply as that. I can remind you that the irony of, of the miracles or provision itself is lost when people's hearts are fixed on the perishing things of this world. Look for the deeper. Look for the more significant. I'm going to have to skip a lot of this. What work do you perform, Lord? They said. In other words, show us the stuff so that we can believe. And they missed the point altogether. You see... They should have sought his face instead of his hand. Let me put it another way. If you get hold of his face, you will benefit from his hand. But how many have this emphasis on the stuff instead of on Jesus. And that's what verse 32 brings out. Jesus is the ultimate goal. Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He, speaking about Jesus, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is saying, I am the real deal. Go for me. You come looking for bread, oblique stuff, but I am the real bread. 
When you eat of me, your nourishment will be of such that not only will it be spiritually have fed you, but because you will have risen in your faith and your understanding of my generosity, you will be blessed by my hand as well. At our worst, we think of God's provision as if he's a waiter. That's at our worst. We, we signal him to our table and, and uh, our table being life, our life circumstances and we place our orders in faith and then believe to receive what we've ordered. Hopefully no one here is that trite. Provision, material blessing stuff is a blessing. But don't forget, it is only temporary. You're still going to die. Maybe Jesus will come before then, but, you know, if he doesn't, if he hangs around a bit longer in his perfect environment, we're going to die. You don't like that thought, but get used to it. So why am I saying that? Verses 48 to 58. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the stuff in the wilderness, and it was provision, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. There'll be a a transition taking place and you'll step out of this life which is just like a preparatory dressing room and you'll step into eternity. If you're a believer, you'll have the glories of eternity. Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you've no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food. It refreshes the soul and it nourishes and supports the soul. And my blood is true drink. It strengthens, nourishes and leads to eternal life. So whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Not like the bread that your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. You're getting Jesus' drift. You're seeing what he's trying to to. to Get them to understand. So, so much of the gospel has pre- been presented for inferior reasons. Serving Jesus so that you can get. And that misses the mark by a country mile. Jesus is the great provider. And we need to serve him because of him.
not because of what we can get. I've got to stop. It's too bad. It was a great conclusion. But I hope you've understood what I've tried to say this morning. God is a great provider. And we can see it in our material needs. We can see it when we observe nature. But the greatest provision you and I can experience is the provision that Jesus provided through the cross. Eternal life with him if we embrace that offering. And there is a way that we need to deal with the goodness of God in the material realm. The blessings, the bread. There's a way we need to position ourselves so that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit, but we please the heart of the Father. A channel, if you like. He blesses me, and I bless whoever I can. A man that impacted my life greatly 30 years ago or more was a man who started off by giving away his house. And God blessed him with another house and another house and he kept on giving away. He'd given away more than seven houses. Given. Not sold at a cheap price. Now, don't, don't go leaping off the, the gangplank if you don't have the faith for that. Brother Carroll had the faith for that. And not just houses, but cars. He was a channel. He was blessed abundantly. And as he was blessed, he abundantly blessed others. That's the principle I want you to get. The provision of God so that you and I can be the hand of God extended to others.